In a world where you can be anything, be a leader, a mentor, an ally or a role model, gender diversity, equity and equality is everyone's responsibility. In this podcast, we are leading the conversation to help uncover uncomfortable truths, inspirational stories and practical steps you can take to achieve gender equality. Welcome to today's episode of The Impact Room, hosted by myself, Mitali Kohal. I'm really excited uh, to invite Vicky Hicks today to our amazing podcast. Welcome, Vicky. By means of an introduction, Vicky is an amazing leader at BT. She is head of engagement for Digital Voice at BT Group and is also chair of the Gender Equality Network. I'm really excited to bring you onto the podcast today and I can't wait to get to know you and our listeners to hear more about your career journey so far. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. In terms of an introduction, how about you tell us a bit about your career journey and your superpowers to get things started? Yeah, sure. So when I was 18, I'd just finished my A-levels at sixth form and I had a real desire to just get into the working environment and start earning money straight away. Uh, I was very ready to move out of home. I realised I couldn't do that without without earning some money. So I went straight into work um, and I worked uh, in the IT department for the Ministry of Defence where I actually went on to spend 13 years there uh, across various IT leadership um, positions towards the end of my career there. Um, but the, it's quite a rigid organisation because of the sensitivity of its work. There's very little working from home opportunities. Um, and by the end of my time at the Ministry of Defence, I, I had two children. Um, so I, I did have to make a change for, for personal reasons. And so I moved to BT, um, where, they, where they did have some more flexible working arrangements. Um, and there I, I moved to, to lead their service operations teams in BT Security, which is similar to the role I'd done prior to that in the Ministry of Defence. And I did that for a couple of years, leading service operations and IT support type teams. Um, And then I was on a talent scheme in BT where they really encouraged you to go outside of your comfort zone. I listened to all the podcasts and and all the development books that I'm sure we all do. Um, And so I really wanted to take a bit of a leap of faith. And so I moved from a kind of IT service support type role that I'd done my whole career uh, across to a commercial role. Um, which was completely out of my comfort zone and really quite terrifying. (laughs) Um, And I did that and learned a whole new language in the time that I did that role. And then an amazing opportunity came came along to work as part of a once in a generation program that I'm on today. So um, the kind of the home phone, the landline that we've all grown up with is changing in the UK. Uh, And so for the next couple of years, I'll be leading on all engagement across the UK for for that program, where I get to work with uh, stakeholders all the way across the UK from local authorities, MPs, charities, community groups, uh, in order to make sure that all the elderly and vulnerable people in the UK that really depend on that landline have all the support that they need. For those who don't actually know, I worked at BT for seven years as well and it is an incredible programme and something that is going to fundamentally change how we operate, right, and building for the future. So digital voice, I mean, most people don't know what it is but I find it really (laughs) exciting. Yeah, it it will be the new way that people um, use their home phone at home. For many people, um, like my grandparents, and it does tend to be elderly, it's their only way of staying connected in the world today. So it's really important that we get it right and we make sure there is a digital way of them staying connected in the home, um, even if kind of the the traditional analogue landline um, is being retired. Yeah, and it's amazing it's got us this far, the analogue. Yeah, and a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd love to get to know you more kind of personally, Vicky. So... Um, what, what do we need to know about you to understand how you got to where you are today? Because it sounds like you've had an incredible career at two very different uh, organisations. So I'm interested in um, maybe what it is about you that has got you to where you are today. So from a really young age, and I'm not always sure where it's come from, but from a really young age, I've been incredibly driven and incredibly independent. I was 13, maybe 14 years old. I had three part-time jobs. I used to work sweeping the floor in a hairdresser's from 8.30 in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon for £10, which I'm pretty (laughs) sure you would not be allowed to do now. Um, But yeah, I had three part-time jobs. I was just hungry. And it wasn't, I mean, 
at that age, it, it kind of was about earning money and being able to go out with my friends and things like that. But it, it was also from a place of wanting to network. I didn't know it was called networking at that age. Um, but with every role I did or every opportunity that came my way at such a young age, I realised you got to make new friends and new connections by doing that. Um, so I think that's something that's been with me from a really young age and throughout my career I've really tried to leverage relationships uh, and build really strong relationships throughout um, and, and it, it just helped me grow circles and, and have different friendship groups in, in different areas of my life so that was really important to me and then in my first role I really had no idea that kind of this lack of women in tech was even a thing I was I was probably quite naive at that age um, and on day one my first role IT service desk for the Ministry of, Ministry of Defence I turned up there was 12 of us employed on our first day and I was the only girl and I looked around the room and it was just blindingly obvious that I was the only female there <laughs> and I thought oh I wonder why that's the case and so it suddenly became really important to me to make sure that I stood out and that I was seen as just as good, if not better, than everybody around me. Um, and, and I really didn't understand why I was the only girl, but I was hell-bent on making sure that didn't become a problem, um, or that perhaps others didn't see it as, as such a big deal. Um, I have two children, and I've changed a huge amount as a person since becoming a parent. Um, you, your perspective changes, your priorities change, what drives you changes. Um, I was driven from a young age, but it, it came from a, a point of wanting to prove to myself and to others what I was capable of. Now I work to prove to my children that anything is possible um, and I want them to have the work ethic that I do. Amazing. So the motivation's always been there and that hunger is what I heard from that. And definitely that opportunity and willingness to get to commanding and being in the room right because it's often a lonely place to be as the only woman in a room and I've certainly felt the same right being the only person that is a woman in a all-male leadership team and sometimes it's hard and it's difficult to like command yourself and be treated the same and you don't actually know what it is about it but it is a lonely place to be sometimes yeah, it was, it was different and, again, something I'd never encountered in my life. Having only been to school and college, you, you don't face that um, in your young years, do you? So, for me, it was small things like not being able to be involved in the same conversations as them. I, I wasn't massively into sport. That's all they spoke about. Um, but I, I used all of that to my advantage. It enabled me to stay focused and to over-deliver when perhaps they were taking their time to, to have those kind of chats uh, amongst lads around the team. So I tried my best to use that to my advantage to make sure I stood out and I wanted everyone to know that I was more than capable. Something else I picked up on um, when you were kind of talking, which is about the way that you network and, I guess, find opportunities. So what do opportunities kind of mean to you? I know a lot of people listening sorry, will um, be thinking, how do you actually find these opportunities and how do you know which ones to take and not? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a really good question and I actually really battle with myself all the time because I struggle to say no. I'm a huge believer that opportunities can pass you by and they don't always come back around again. So when opportunities have presented themselves in my career, whether it be the move to BT, uh, whether it be me chairing the Gender Equality Network for BT Group, um, whether it be the MBA I'm currently studying, when all of those opportunities kind of passed me or, or kind of landed there, there were sort of big decisions in my head to be, do I really have the capacity for this? Can I really give this my all? Um, and I mean, my husband would sit there and say, you can't take on any more. Surely, <laughs> surely you can't do more. Um, but I'm a big believer that those opportunities might never present themselves again. And so if something in your gut tells you that you should go for it, I do. And I throw myself into it because you just never know where that opportunity might lead you, what doors it might open, which people it might enable you to meet. Um, so I'm a really big believer in taking any opportunity that comes your way if your gut tells you that it could be something really worthwhile doing. 
I completely agree. And there's definitely been times I've been stretched beyond what I thought was possible, but there's always something to learn from. And I think that when you when you expose yourself to maybe new environments or new projects or new people, there is there's a win-win, right? Like, how are you not going to either learn something you like about that or don't like or actually develop a skill? Yeah, you will learn something from every opportunity that you take, even if it's not a positive experience while you're in it. Um, When I took that leap of faith and moved to a commercial role that was so out of my comfort zone, quite honestly, I cried every day for about six months, I think, thinking, what on earth have I done and how have I ended up here? Um, But in hindsight, which is such a wonderful thing, isn't it? (laughs) I learned so much, not only about working in a commercial environment, I feel like I learned a completely different language at work during that time. But I actually learned more about myself in the time I was in that role than I have throughout the rest of my life. Um, and, I, and I'm and i so much clearer now about what I want as a person, actually in and out of my career, just even in my personal life, it's made me a lot more resilient. It's made me a lot more um, grateful for the opportunity and actually really proud of myself for, the, for surviving yeah. <laughs> that time because it was really, really difficult. Uh, but I feel now if I if I can do that and get through that time I can do anything exactly and these moments test us and that's where growth is right if you're constantly in a comfort zone you're never growing and so yeah yeah I I really dislike the 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 narrative on imposter syndrome we Mm. hear about it a lot um I see imposter syndrome as a really positive thing and I'd love everybody else to view it as that thing as that positive thing too I think if you're not experiencing the feeling that you get with imposter syndrome that kind of am I good enough to be here what am I doing then you're too comfortable and actually it's time to move on and take on a new challenge so when I'm not feeling imposter syndrome though I don't love the name of it (laughs) for me it's time to move on it's time to take on a new challenge and really try something different and again put myself out of my comfort zone so Vicky, let's let's talk about challenges a bit more. I feel like you've got a lot more to share and how you navigated them. So when those times were difficult and you were thinking, like, what have I done? And you're in that imposter syndrome state. Uh, what kept you going? Like, were there any coping mechanisms that really helped you in the lowest of lows um, in those moments that maybe we could learn from? Gosh, I mean, I don't know that I handled it that well, to be quite (laughs) honest with you. Um, If I'm being really candid, I think I'm really stubborn and there's no way I was going to give up. Um, Some of that comes from wanting to prove to myself that I can do this and because knowing it was the right thing to do, even though it was really, really hard. And gosh, I felt really vulnerable. Even even with that feeling, I knew long term it was the right thing to do. but also, I I really had this this thing that everybody else would be thinking, well, she didn't do that for long. Or, or other people perhaps judging and, and saying that maybe I'd failed at something. And there's no way I was giving anyone an opportunity to say that. So I think it comes from a place of stubbornness, which is perhaps not the best answer to give. But it, it's me being really honest with you. Um, I set myself a goal of doing that role for 18 months, really submerging myself um, in an environment that I'd never been in before that I knew was going to be challenging and and I felt strongly that it would take me nine to 12 months to learn how to do the job and then the same to do it really well and start to add significant value um, and, and really come out stronger and so that was the goal and I was definitely not willing to give up on that and and actually had had the amazing opportunity that I'm uh, that I'm in now not come along I would have done that full 18 months um, but this program came along a month or two earlier and I just couldn't pass it out and and on I guess I want to go if you don't mind a little bit deeper what is your biggest example of uh like experiencing imposter syndrome so I totally love that you kind of have been dedicated and stubborn to like not let it affect you um I'd love to hear what a time when it was like that yeah I think for anyone else that's been in that position and and truly felt the extent of of imposter syndrome it, it can be quite a dark place um you can question just about everything it's exhausting. It really takes its toll on you both mentally and physically. And you really have to find ways of coping with that. If you're really dedicated to 
to the cause and, and the fact you've gone in this looking looking to be out of your comfort zone you, you know going into it it's going to be hard you've got to be prepared for that and you've got to find ways of dealing with it with it for me that was talking to my mentor ringing her up of an evening and saying gosh I just need to vent for 10 minutes and I need you to tell me that I'm doing the right thing or it might be listening to a podcast um there's lots of them that I listen to and how many times have we all listened to a learning and development podcast that said growth doesn't come from within your comfort zone it comes from with outside um so I'd often listen to those and, and just remind myself yes this is why I'm doing this uh, that's that's why I started this and sometimes it was it was talking to myself in the mirror <laughs> it was doing some mindfulness it was going to the gym I'm not a big gym goer but sometimes you just need to run on that treadmill or lift some weights and kind of really um kind of get get some energy out in that way um, so I think for me it's finding those little things that work for you and just being prepared that this isn't going to be easy and if you go into a challenge like that thinking it will be a breeze you're wrong and you need to take a step back and really think about how you're going to cope during that time because it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Exactly so I think we can both agree career development isn't easy and it's not straightforward and often it's not what we expect and what you've said about opportunities and how they come about it can always be it can almost be serendipitous there is a element of it happening to you and then you making it happen for yourself and I see a lot of that coming out with your career so far Vicky um in terms of my career just to share a kind of anecdote I've had to leave teams that I've loved and uh teams where I've felt like I've learned everything I needed to and sometimes I've been thrown at the deep end and thought like there is absolutely no way I can do this um and I've definitely done the wrong jobs as well <laughs> so this has all taught me things right I've learned the I'll never do those jobs again or I know that I need to command more and and you know be more in control of certain things I truly believe you can learn something from every experience and I think even if you're going through a hard experience or bad times it's not going to be the be all end all right you'll, you'll find an opportunity and something out of that yeah. um yeah I, I think being really driven and wanting more and wanting progression isn't for everybody. And I really admire people, actually, that just love their job and are really yeah, comfortable same. being in that job. I, the, the first job I did at BT on paper was the perfect job for me. And I absolutely loved my time in that role. But after two and a half years, I, I was so comfortable. I just felt I'm not learning anything here now. And I need to really challenge myself. And I ask myself all the time, why couldn't I have just been happy in that role? <laughs> just, just sat in that role. Um, and I don't know I don't know what it is inside my brain, but I am driven and I do want more. Um, and so I think you're right. All, all those opportunities, the networking, um, the, the career progression, if you're that way inclined, you have to make it work for yourself and you have to go and find those opportunities. What was your initial career ambition and are you where you thought you'd be by now? Um, I, I really want to be a director in BT Group. I feel more than able to operate at that level and make those kinds of decisions and help a business grow. Um, I definitely feel ready to do that. And so if I'm really honest with myself, and it, and it is difficult to admit this kind of thing, isn't it? But I'm probably not where I wanted to be. And sometimes I, I give myself a hard time about that. Like, I've, this is my third senior manager role. I've been operating at this level for a really long time now. But I think we have to really remind ourselves that progression isn't just promotion. And it's taken me a long time to learn that. Um, and a lot of kind of conversations with myself to get there. But with every role I've done, I've learnt... I've definitely progressed, even though we don't think um, kind of progression versus promotion. Like, I absolutely have progressed in that time. I mean, in the last eight years, I've had two children. I'm a completely different person today than I was eight years ago. So I think it's really important that we 
we remember that progression isn't just promotion. It's not just grades and pay scales. Um, and I'm a huge advocate that you can progress w- without without that promotion element. And I think generationally we've we've become really impatient. And I'm probably the most impatient person you'll ever meet, actually. So I'm not I'm not a great advert. But I mean, you just think about life. We don't sit through TV adverts anymore. Um, we order something and it's it arrives on our doorstep the next morning. We're hungry and you can make an order and your food gets delivered in 10 minutes. Like as a generation, we're a really impatient um, set of people. <laughs> and I think you have to remember, you're not going to go from graduate to director in five years. You have to be patient. You have to put the work in. You have to get that breadth across business, try lots of different things, um, really add skills and experiences to, to your kind of portfolio and to your CV. Um, and that's where the progression comes from. And, and to just learn to be that little bit more patient. I mean, that's a conversation I'm having with myself almost every day. And if it takes me another 10 years to get to director, that's okay. Because throughout the next 10 years, I will do many other roles and each role will teach me something different. Amazing. And on that, I guess, um, I mean, when you said graduate to director in five years, that's exactly what my thoughts were <laughs> when I was at BT. Um, and yeah, I've learned exactly the same thing. And actually, um, just a little personal experience. I remember every year when I saw, because I started at BT on the grad program. So you kind of a cohort and then you see people progress and and then you, you notice, oh, somebody's got you know, uh, a senior role, oh, um, a head of role, da, da, da. And I used to get, I used to feel, you know, like, oh, I'm not there yet. Why am I not there? I should be there, you know. Um, and I think that maybe a lot of, and, and for me, what I learned was you are developing all at different, on different timelines. And all because somebody's ahead of something over there doesn't mean that you now need to be ahead of because you've done the time. It's about the skills, but it's also about how you demonstrate them. And then it's about how you then cash that in and learn the transferability, right? So I guess for anybody that might have felt like how I felt as a grad and kind of coming through the ranks, what's the advice you'd give them um, on how to kind of manage that want to have it now with um you know learning learning and doing what it takes yeah I mean there's definitely something in there in learning to be patient which I'm still trying to teach myself I'm I'm not there yet but I definitely think there's something in that and also it's not a competition you've got to stop comparing yourself to everybody around you nobody in this world is the same we're all doing things on our own timelines and in our own way um but I guess one piece of advice I would give you and, and something that is probably quite apparent that I've done throughout my career is it's no longer good enough to just do your day job and do it really well. You have to go above and beyond that and, and you have to take the kind of extracurricular things that crop up, the the kind of, you know, when your director's out there looking for volunteers for certain things to kind of make a difference with culture, to lean into people networks, to play a role in diversity and inclusion, which is so important today. All of those things are what's going to make you not only a more well-rounded individual that's ready for that progression, but also it's going to put you on the map. People are going to know who you are. It gives you that networking opportunity to meet different people that you wouldn't do otherwise um, if you were just solely focused on your day job. So for me, it's take the opportunities, lean in to the different, the different things that crop up and that you can get involved in. Because if you just sit there and do your day job, it's not good enough anymore. And that's not what sets you apart from everybody else. 100%. So in terms of, I'm going to ask a bit of a left field question. So... Do you feel that your male counterparts are achieving more than you in a shorter amount of time, to play it another way? <laughs> Difficult question. Um, I'm someone that doesn't want to admit that. I, I'm a big believer that you can have everything. If, if you f- get the boundaries right and you find the balance and you, you find a way to make it happen, I truly believe that women can start a family, be a parent, and smash their career and it's something I'm trying to prove to myself and everybody around me on a daily basis especially my little girls um but if you if you step back and look at the reality I took two years out of my career to have my children um my male counterparts didn't do that so 
I think as much as it pains me to admit I definitely think it is a different experience for men and women today, particularly where organisations don't offer shared parental leave and, and equal opportunities in terms of parental leave. Many organisations still only really give the mother the time off yeah. um, and the, the world that we live in still thinks that women should be the ones that take the time off and stay at home. So whilst we're still living in that environment and, and working organisations don't offer that equality... I do think men have um, have benefit from that and yeah. do benefit. And my male counterparts will definitely have progressed at a quicker rate from me because they didn't take two years out. You know, having children and taking time out of work for that, you're, you're not alone in that. And, you know, as somebody that hasn't had kids but wants to have them in the future and somebody who's very active in the gender equality space, I... I'm nervous and I'm I'm scared about what it's going to do for my career which I've worked so hard for and you know in in my deepest kind of feeling I feel like why why can't I go and have a family and and what want to have a family go and have it and still be you know at, at the level that that I've worked up until and I think that there are kind of these there are biases in the workplace. We all kind of know that. There are unconscious biases. There are um, th th there's this phenomenon called the broken rung, which Women at Tech is doing a lot of research and uh, thinking around. So, just to bring that in a little bit, because I think these feelings are linked to that. The broken rung was first coined by Lean In, and they did a study across 590 companies that showed women in entry-level jobs were less likely to be promoted into first-level managerial positions. This is, you know, if you think about your first managerial position, that kind of maybe can start between 20 to 30 years old, and the broken rung phenomenon is between 20 to 45. That's kind of the age bracket. And what happens is if they're not promoted into those first level managerial positions, the amount of women available for promotions at a higher level decreases further, if you think of it like a funnel. And it creates this phenomenon called the broken rung, um, which means that you don't have enough women to convert into exec positions. So this rung is an example of systemic bias. And the workplace is just not built to enable women to progress at that same rate right um so there is a mistaken belief that women aren't asking for promotions or they're not ambitious but hearing you today you've got that fire in your belly and you you want to make those moves so the the, the data shows a story that we need to talk more about and I believe women are doing their part but they're not getting the same results as men so what I'd love to hear your perspective as somebody um, that has that has gone through this on what leaders and organisations can do to minimise this impact. So, I mean, firstly, as someone that you, you've just been really honest there and said about how, how actually scary you find the prospect of having children and what that could do for your career. And I just want to touch on that quickly because I hate that women feel that way. Yeah. And, and I want you to know that if you set the right boundaries, it's absolutely possible and you have to be really outspoken and clear with your leadership about what you want when you return to work. Um, I have leaned heavily on childcare providers. I don't have any family close by. I don't have anyone helping with school runs or nursery drop-offs. Me and my husband have done all of it ourselves um, and we are completely equal at home. For me, it's about setting boundaries. When I'm at work, I have to know that they're in a safe environment and they're being really well looked after. And I have to try not to think about them too much. And that is hard <laughs> when you've just had a baby and you've dropped them off to the nursery for the first day. But the only way you're going to be able to progress in your career whilst having children is to know that it's somebody else's job to look after them when you get to the workplace. And whilst you're in the workplace, you need to dedicate yourself to the role and, and to doing the best that you can in the workplace. And then when you leave the workplace to go and pick them up, you're straight into mummy mode. You're giving them your full, your kind of full attention. Um, and from the hours of about 5.30 to 7.30, I try my best to not even think about work. I am fully in the moment with them, doing my best as a parent, bath, bed, reading time, all of that. And then you put them to bed and obviously the laptop comes straight straight back out again. <laughs> and that is how you juggle it. I have I have watched women try and do both at the same time. And I don't know, it's a personal preference, but for me, 
it just looks a lot more stressful than it needs to be um and and I can see how that would take its toll. So sorry to rewind a bit, but I just wanted to get that in there because no, I hate I that appre- you feel that way. <laughs> I appreciate it. And, and and it's only because of the amount of women I've met that have kind of said, oh, this happened, you know, I left I left my job and there wasn't a job to come back to. Or um, I, I wasn't, like, my manager did not talk to me for a year, so I had no idea what was going on. And it's little things like that that can make a huge difference, right? And I think... Um I think for me, it's like I don't want these biases to impact my performance and my brain. Like my brain is still there, whether I have children or not. I just want to be treated the same. I just want people to know that I've got this brain that can do things as well. And I, I just really, it, it's it's a shame. And I'd love, I'd love in this generation to move on from that because women can do the same jobs as men. And I don't understand why anything else matters, you know. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah so back back to your second part of your earlier question you've actually mentioned some of the things that I wish we were doing um both in the workplace and and outside actually so just in in the world that we live in today I wish there wasn't this expectation on women to take a certain amount of time off I'll be honest I took a year with both my children because it felt like that's what everybody expected me to do um when I was working in the civil service for the ministry of defense the maternity leave package is very good. We were in a position where financially we were able to do that. And so the, the prospect of me saying, actually, do you know what? I think I'm not going to take a year. People would look at me and say, why wouldn't you take a year? Mm. So this expectation that that's how long women should take, I wish we could start to change that narrative. By six to nine months, I was ready to go back to work, if I'm honest. I was missing using my brain in a different capacity. I was missing talking to adults about anything other than babies um so there's something there outside of the workplace but inside of the workplace I think it's having that really open dialogue between your leadership when I went off nobody asked me what were my kind of ambitions what what was I thinking about my return to work um I think everybody makes an assumption that oh she's got a baby now so she's probably not going to be this driven career woman that, that kind of she was growing up to be And I don't want anyone making that assumption about me. And I don't think we should be making that assumption about anyone. It should be a conversation because, of course, there are women where that is their plan. And actually, they do want to go off and have their children. And for that to be their only priority for sometimes years, sometimes forever. Um, But I wish we'd had that open dialogue when going off and throughout my maternity leave to say, how are you finding it? What are your thoughts about coming back? What are your aspirations when you come back? Um... And to be in with an opportunity to kind of not miss out on progression and promotion opportunities when you're off. I don't think we're having enough of those conversations. And in the lead up to coming back to work, it felt very much like, oh, we've got a role over here at your grade. We'll just drop you in there rather than what do you want to do? What's your aspiration? Where are you wanting to take your career now? Um, it felt it feels still in 2023, 2024, still too much about where are we going to slot this person who's returning back from a year off work rather than how do we get the most out of this person where is the right place for for them and the organization thank you so much for that yeah I I mean I couldn't have you've summarized everything that I've heard on the topic right and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a bit about um your work in the gender equality network because I know that you're trying to change things at BT and one of the and and we've talked about it previously as well right about um life events like this so so life events happen to all genders you know not just like we all experience illness we all have caring responsibilities having a child is also kind of part of that there that there are more biases I think uh, put around what women want and how they are perceived and that kind of inhibits women's progression in in a in a few ways as we as you've already summarized one thing I wanted to just tap into is paternity leave because that is known as a key enabler in the next generation so when you look at a lot of research out there Millennial men actually want to take longer paternity leaves and are looking at companies that 
offer six weeks plus, which actually is still not a lot of time, but at least it's it's growing from two weeks, right? Millennial men want to spend time bonding with their children. Women want to get back to work. And actually, the load at home, we need to learn how to nurture our families, both men and women, and also to adapt the workplace to allow for women to step up and get opportunities where they can demonstrate their skills. So we've seen in research, if men take time out, there will be opportunities, more opportunities for women to step up. And so I guess this is a call to action if there's anybody listening to this in the future that looks at their pat leave and says, hey, this is this is not good. Do something about it. Because we can we can actually make a change, a massive change in terms of shifting the dial on policies like that. And I know that there are a lot of gender networks focused on on that policy. Um, do you have any more kind of thoughts, not necessarily about BT, but just in general around caring policies and how they need to change? Yeah, I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head with so many things there. Paternity leave is, I mean, I almost can't even believe we're still having this conversation. Um, it's it's absolutely not good enough that in many organisations, men still only get two weeks off. Um, I mean, I think about, think about the the life change you've just been through. Your entire life has just been thrown upside down. To expect men to welcome their child into the world, support support their partner, both from a mentally, physically, emotionally point of view, and then just go back to the day job two weeks later. Like It blows my mind that that's the expectation, and it's grossly unfair that we expect men to do that. Um, it also doesn't help women progress, to your point. So if we had, I don't even think we should distinguish between maternity and paternity leave. It should be a shared parental leave, open to anyone. Circ- people's circumstances are different. Obviously, we don't only have male and female relationships. Um, I just think we need to really think about shared parental leave differently across the board um, in every organisation. And there should be far more flexibility for how people decide to take that leave, what works best for them at home Um, and we have to really consider like men change too as a result of having a baby it's not just a woman's life that changes Um, and I don't think policies account for that today. So Vicky I'm going to shift the dial and go on to another topic the topic of mentorship. So you mentioned you mentioned you had a mentor who has helped you through your tough times. And I've noticed that people, you know, talk about mentorship uh, as a buzzword and it floats around the business world. Actually, when you look at the data, only 37% of professionals have a mentor. So how did you find yours and what does mentorship mean to you? Um, I'd love to know more. Um, yeah, so... I mean, I, if, if I had to give one piece of career advice, it would be that everybody should have a mentor. And if you don't have one and you're ambitious and you're driven and you want to progress, you need to go and get one. I mean, that needs to be like your first priority. I met my first mentor when I was at the MOD and actually I didn't even know what a mentor was at the time. <laughs> I was very naive, very young, um, but she was the only senior woman that I had visibility of. I really looked up to her. I really related to her and... And she saw something in me before I saw it in myself. So she kind of organically became my mentor without me even realising that's what she was at the time. Um, and she's done a lot for me, with probably without even realising how much of a part she's played on my career. We haven't worked together for a long time now, but even now, like when I was in my, my ter- time of turmoil, she's the first person that I would turn to for advice um, and just a bit of a pat on the back or a bit of stern talking to when I'm when I'm really going through a tough time. She's also a mother, which I think really helps because she can resonate with where I am in my career right now and, and, my, and in my life because she's a little older. Um, but she, I honestly don't think I would be where I was today without her. And I have other mentors that I've kind of met along my career. And sometimes you're on these mentoring programs where you're kind of paired with somebody. Um, but for me, the best mentors occur organically. Um, and I think they're absolutely essential. I agree. 
And in terms of, I know you touched on a bit of advice. Is there is there anything more, any other advice you'd like to give to people looking for mentors? So I know you found yours at work and sometimes those programs, yeah, sometimes the match doesn't work. I've definitely experienced that. Is there any other top tips you have for our listeners? I really feel like the best way to find your mentor is to do it authentically and organically, like I mentioned. So have a look around you. Who, who do you see that's aspiring you, inspiring you, sorry? Um, who do you aspire to be like and really respect in the workplace? And, and just approach them and ask them. Um, I think most would be humbled to be asked to be a mentor. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you need to make it any more complicated than that. But it does need to have, there does, there does need to be boundaries with a mentoring relationship. Both parties have to be really clear about what they want to get out of it and how much effort they're going to put into it. Um, and I think as a mentee, don't go in there expecting that person to kind of just pave your career way for you and find you your next job. That's not what it's about. Um, go, go in with those clear expectations, set that boundaries early on in your relationship um, and really use the relationship to help inspire you um, to, to kind of use as a sounding board when you're not maybe not quite sure what the right decision is to make and, and your mentor shouldn't be and won't, won't be making that decision for you but they might get you thinking about it differently or asking you a question that you might not have considered. Um, so for me, the advice is to just find someone that you think really inspires you and that you would like to be your mentor and ask them. Exactly. Something you said there has actually resonated with me um, as a mentor. Um, I mentor a few people from my old university and um, through various programs and stuff. And actually, recently I got a LinkedIn message, which was about 10 messages consecutively asking for like five or six different things. And I was like, as much as I want to help you, this is a lot without, without building up that kind of emotional capital to an extent and understanding and building that um, kind of relationship so the thing you mentioned around boundaries is really um, resonating with me because I kind of had to put up a few firm boundaries to say look if you ask me in a proper way I would tell you that I'm already mentoring x amount of mentees and I don't have time at the minute however I'm still I can offer you this this and this and I think um, it's my first experience of actually kind of being like I want to help but I just I can't at the minute so I think there's something about building that rapport and that also leans into what you said about authentic like authenticity right finding a mentor that you connect with and I think both of those things are interlinked so do you have a genuine relationship and have you built up a bit of that capital to then ask a bit more because I've noticed when people ask for a lot initially it sometimes doesn't necessarily get them to where they want to be yeah I think going back to that kind of extracurricular and and doing more than just your day job I I do think as senior leaders we we owe it to the generations that coming after us those future leaders to be a mentor I really think I really think everybody that's kind of had success in their career and that's moved to a senior role should be mentoring people but we can only do so much to your point I mentor uh, a a few quite a few people actually some some um, more regularly than others so some just check in perhaps when they've got a big decision to make or whatever others might be more regular but I think you have to set those boundaries be really clear what you can offer I also think though as 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 people progress and they do become more senior and they have more success in their career I think we owe it to future leaders and to the next generation of business to mentor and I think everybody more senior in the organizations should be doing that because you'd be surprised the nuggets of information that you have the challenges that you've faced throughout your career and how that can help um, even just one person but as the mentor you do have to set those boundaries about how many people can you help like yourself I mentor quite a few people in different capacities some people it's just once every now and again when they have a difficult decision to make and they just want to sound it out others it's a really regular conversation that we're having and then I really feel like I'm supporting them on their career and there really is for me anyway no more rewarding feeling than that I love being a mentor um I think it really makes me feel good. And if and if I have a conversation with a mentee and I feel like I've really made a difference, then it, it really does make my week. 
I completely agree, yeah. Being a mentor is extremely rewarding and I think when when you can help form an idea or expand somebody's mindset around something, I feel like that's one of the, the things that you can't put, put money on and you can't get from anywhere really. Like sometimes, like I've had pivotal mentors in my life, old bosses, people I've met through a programme and each time it's helped me expand what I think of the working world and a different perspective makes you a better leader. Um, I recently read a report mentioning that a company experienced a 96% retention rate amongst millennial employees after implementing a reverse mentoring scheme. What's your take on that? Have you been part of a reverse mentoring relationship before? I have, and I think reverse mentoring can be really powerful. Um, it, it can really help both parties and, and particularly really educate kind of your leaders and your decision makers on on what the the organisation's thinking, what, what the kind of broader set of people are thinking, how change and news is landing. But I think I've also seen it be used as a tick box exercise and for it to be impactful to both kind of the individuals and the business itself it needs to be really well thought through again coming back to boundaries there needs to be those boundaries set and everybody's clear what they're getting out of that reverse mentoring relationship and actually the reverse mentee the senior person in that in that um, relationship needs to actually want to listen and learn I've seen going back to that kind of tick box exercise I've definitely seen senior leaders do the reverse mentoring thing put themselves in that scenario because they've been told to do it not because they really sat back and understood what they would get out of that and how best to leverage that relationship. I think they can be really powerful if used in the right way, um, but I've seen them used in, in perhaps not the right way and, the, and then mm. they're pointless. Yeah, I, I had a reverse mentor at BT and he was the, he won't mind me saying, the, the MD of digital at the time. And he was so, he he... I felt like he dedicated the time and uh, got me involved in things afterwards and um, he actually ended up changing or breaking the recruitment process for getting digital talent into BT off a conversation we had which was such a brilliant outcome so I think I think as leaders right no offense but like you can end up becoming more disconnected to the next generation if you're not always yeah. kind of touching base and I think as a leader, if you tap into that, you can you become a better leader again. Leadership can be quite lonely. Let, let's be really honest. The higher you go up the organisation, the less friends you have because not only are you busier, but you do have to disconnect a little bit to your teams to, to, in order to kind of set the direction and and not offer bias to the team. There's lots of reasons why as a leader you do have to disconnect slightly. So what an opportunity to kind of have an ear on the ground that's going to have those really authentic and honest conversations with you and give you feedback that's not always easy to hear. Um, why wait for kind of your annual um, people survey to tell you how people are feeling when you could quite, you could be having really regular conversations with someone that's willing to give you that in the moment feedback and you're able to do something about it before that annual survey comes back out. There's, there's so many benefits to doing it. I'm just not sure organisations are doing it properly yet. Agreed. It's an untapped opportunity. So to summarise, I think the key thread Vicky is showing us is that if you have to make opportunities for yourself and uh, seize them when they're in front of you. Um, if you're part of Women at Tech, um, you should know that we, had, we launched our UK first cross-company mentoring programme last year and we are due to launch again in early 2024. So if you're, th if you're listening to this thinking, I need to find a mentor, you can follow us on LinkedIn to be the first in the know. And with that, I think uh, I think we we've covered a lot today. So thank you so much, Vicky, for coming in. I just wanted to ask: Do you have any last thoughts for our listeners to take away? Well, firstly, thank you so much for coming. I've I've really enjoyed myself today. Um, I think if I had kind of one piece of advice that I'd give to you, and it's it's a piece of advice I actually never received, and really wish I had earlier on. For me, it it's been really easy over the years to lose perspective. I'm so driven that sometimes all I think about is my career and how I'm going to progress and why I'm not progressing quick enough. And I think it's really important to sometimes sit back, reflect a little bit on how far you've already come, 
your career is a really long time. We're sadly working for 40, 50 years of our life. Um, so there really is no rush, but also we're privileged. We're in a really privileged position to even be working. And sometimes when I'm getting frustrated that I've not progressed to the next level, I have a really stern word with myself about the fact that I'm in a really privileged position. And actually there are a lot of people out there that are losing jobs or that have been unemployed for some time. And to just be really grateful for the position I'm, I'm already in. And I think, um, I wish someone had said that to me far sooner because I think there's definitely been points in my career where I've been so obsessed with progression that I've, not, I've lost that perspective. And that's not a healthy place to be. Completely agree. So we have a closing tradition on this podcast uh, with some quick fire questions, if you don't mind. So I'm going to dive straight in. So, Vicky, what is your guilty pleasure? Oh, it's chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) I really wish it wasn't. I eat chocolate every single day, which is not good for me. Um, The kids of Christmas, Easter, Halloween, (laughs) I'm always raiding the the kids' uh, buckets of of sweets for chocolate. (laughs) I mean, who isn't, right? I have to ban it from my house uh, when it comes in. Next is, what is your favourite city or place to visit? Um, That's really difficult. So my husband is South African and uh, South Africa is the most stunning place I've ever been. So it's probably the best place I've ever visited, though I've only ever been once. Um, Cyprus is a place we take the kids to regularly and it's equally as beautiful and a lot closer. So it's between the two. Okay, that sounds amazing. I want to go now. (laughs) If you didn't work in tech, what would you be doing? Um, so growing up I actually wanted to go into performing arts and as well as kind of ICT and computer studies I did study performing arts and I always saw myself on a stage singing somewhere oh I love that <laughs> I'm glad for everybody's ears that didn't, that didn't come off <laughs> and we are in the process of curating a list of must-read books do you have a book recommendation for our listeners my goodness, I've read so many books, but one that really resonates with me and that I've been to, back to regularly and that I probably recommend the most is, it's got a, a bit of a quirky title, but it's called Surrounded by Idiots. <laughs> uh, it's by Thomas Erickson. And it, it's the first book I ever read that really helped me understand different personalities. Early in my career, I used to get quite frustrated that people didn't all think the same way as me. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a really good book that's great to read at any point in your career, but really early on, particularly, it's a good book to help you understand that scientifically, people think differently, they behave differently. And not only is that a really positive thing for a team, um, but as a leader and a manager, it's important that you understand why people come to certain um, meetings or they approach things in a certain way. So that, that's probably the book that I, that I love the most. Thank you. I've never read that. I'm going to add that to my list. So... Vicky, a huge thank you for making the time to come and join us on this podcast. I have learned a lot of new things and I think your perspective, drive and just honesty are some of the things I'll remember a lot uh, from this session. Um, So thank you. And I hope that you'll return to Women at Tech at one of our events or hopefully on the mentoring programme. Together we will continue to break bias, bridge the gap and inspire the next generation that they are braver than they believe, stronger than they seem and smarter than they think. Join us for the next episode of The Impact Room, hosted by myself, 